0: Greetings in the name of Christ this morning, the one that we focus on and wish to focus on today. I've entitled the communion message this morning, The Look or the Looks at Communion. And since we don't have Sunday school especially, I also want to somehow draw our children into this a little bit so that they that this time can also be meaningful to you as we focus on a very, very special time in the church, a special meeting of God's people. And so I, I, from time to time I want to at least talk to you, especially to you children, um, Um, about what is taking place and why. Probably you have seen a picture sometime or pictures where you have a picture or you see something that looks rather all muddled up or whatever and you are supposed to find a picture in that drawing. Uh, It may be even... Uh, like I know when our children were younger they, they loved looking for in books like Where's Waldo? Um, Liesl, our granddaughter, likes finding Seymour in, a, in books. These type of... And just to find certain objects, to find certain scenarios, certain pictures in a whole maze. Sometimes you may have seen a main picture, but you are told there are other pictures hidden inside this picture. And you are to find these and these items or these and these pictures. By close looking, maybe even turning the picture different ways, uh, see if you can find uh, a specific object or Another small, smaller, specific picture. I'd like to take this morning the picture of Jesus at communion and turn that picture different ways so that we can get different perspectives of it. The main picture this morning is Jesus Christ, that's why we're here. That is what this is all about. It's about Him. And we are here to honor Him. We're here to remember Him. We're here to reflect on Him. And as we take the picture of Christ this morning and maybe change the angles a bit, the perspectives and see what we will see. At the same time, it is still the picture of Christ that we want to focus on. Sometimes we need to take a long and and very intense look in order to notice some of the pictures that are in the big picture. Other things are quickly and obviously seen. A lot of what will be shared this morning for you brothers and sisters is not new. Probably all of it. Because we have been taught these things, we have heard these things, we have meditated on these things for a long time. As Brother Dennis said, these are. this is not a new situation. This is something that has been for a long period of time. And I'd like to Use First Corinthians chapter eleven, verses twenty-six through thirty-four as my text this morning. The Apostle Paul is addressing the matter of communion here in the Corinthian church. There were there was disorder going on, and how it was being observed, and Paul is giving instruction on proper. Uh, Etiquette, proper attitude in the uh, communion assembly. I'd like to begin reading at verse 23 and then to the end. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged that when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brother, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. If any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together into condemnation. The rest will I set in order when I come. As I said, the focus of communion is Christ. And we're here to remember the work of Christ. Especially his work on Calvary. And that, there's the work that surrounds that. And i like to look at several looks, several views, several perspectives this morning. The first one, that it is a regular, frequent look. Beginning of verse 26, it says, For as often. It doesn't say how often. For as often. And so that there's... seems that the Apostle Paul is saying there, there should be... There should be a, some regularity to this thing. Not just... Oh, yeah, we should do this once... You know, whenever. We don't treat it as we treat a 25th anniversary. It only happens once in a lifetime to a couple. But as often, there is a, there's a, some, somewhat of a regularity. It doesn't say the frequency. But a frequency is implied. Whether that's daily, monthly, quarterly, twice yearly, annually, there is something regular about this remembrance service. I have friends that commune every Sunday. That's when they have the Lord's Supper. It's a special service they have every Sunday morning. And it focuses specifically on the work, the death of Christ. I've been present when that's been held there. And I sensed a reverence there. I did. Communion should not be an unusual occurrence, but it should be a special one. It should be a special one. It shouldn't be something that is just totally out of the ordinary. There should be a a familiar spirit among us about it if we have walked with Christ for some time. But it should be special at the same time. It shouldn't be something that's just casual and and how should I say, normal? Normal. Because there is something very, very special about our remembrance here today. There's something wrong, is it not? If the Christian chooses to participate in communion haphazardly, carelessly, irregularly because of choice, or if he chooses to participate because this is what I must do. If our salvation depended on communion, I'm sure we would take, partake of it daily and probably even more often. But my salvation does not depend on how often I commune. Unfortunately, however, there seem to be people that place too little priority in their lives... in their personal preparation and attitude... about this special service of meaning. It is healthy to look forward to this time... because an inner relationship with Christ... that is healthy... will want to exhibit openly that relationship... And demonstrate that relationship with Christ as well. A frequent, regular look. Secondly, a backward look. We look back this morning. As Brother Dwight already referred to, we do show the Lord's death till he come. I checked my German Bible this morning. It says there, The translation says, you are to proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And we're actually going to do that this morning. We're going to do that by telling the story. It's a story we know. But brothers and sisters, for our salvation is the most significant story that can ever be told. And we cannot forget it. We cannot neglect it. We're not here to reenact communion. But we, we don't replay it. But we're here to commemorate and to remember. We're here to reflect on why Jesus came, why he died, how he died. And the effect of Christ's ministry to us in this way. The scripture tells us in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 53. This is what it says about our condition. This is what it says about what Christ went through. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and equated with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. This has to do with a him-us relationship. All we like sheep had gone astray. We had turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shearers is dumb; He opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment who shall declare his generation for he was cut off of the land of the living. He died for the transgression of my people, of us. Was he stricken? It says in verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Yet put him to grief. There was a purpose for this so that the pleasure of the Lord would prosper in his hand. Scriptures, other verses in Scripture tell us that there is none righteous, no, not one. No one could redeem himself, no one could redeem his brother. We're all guilty. And there needed to be a pure blood that would be effective to not only cover sin, but to cleanse from sin. And a God-man-redeemer was necessary to do this. And so what happened? I'm not going to read the entire passage, but I'd like to go just briefly out of Mark's Gospel and just cover the what we would consider the, the Holy Week story Beginning at of Mark chapter 11. Just briefly there, Jesus, about a week before Easter, he rides into Jerusalem as a king and he is honored as a king by the people. He rides on a colt that had never been ridden on before. And he is honored and exalted and accepted as king. Of course, the the Jewish leaders rejected and and resisted this 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 honor. He goes to the temple and he cleanses it from all the the things that were going on there that should not have been happening at that time, buying and selling, careless. Uh, Use of of the temple property so that men could not properly worship the Lord there. He uh, curses the fig tree that it would stay barren and die. And throughout that week, he continues to teach and to meet with people. And uh, he's asked all kinds of questions and So on, he foretells the destruction of the temple. And then moving over to Mark chapter 14. It's sometime during that week also, beginning of chapter 14, that Jesus is in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. And a woman comes with an alabaster box of ointment, very precious, and she anoints it on Christ. There's indignation made about the waste of this. We believe that this lady did it because of of a deep love for Christ and what Christ had done for her. And she was willing to pour out the most expensive thing that she had, so to speak, to waste it on Christ. And there are those that... (coughs) Speak negatively about this. And Jesus said, she has done this in preparation of my death. She will always be remembered for this wherever the gospel is preached. Isn't that a wonderful testimony to have that thousands of years later, the the deed that this lady did is still significant. She did it just to show her love for Christ and it's been a demonstration that all of us still are blessed with today. The scripture tells us that after this Judas Iscariot went to the high priests and started having discussion with them on how he could be involved in betraying Christ, giving him into their hands. And as the week draws to an end, Jesus has the the Passover supper with his disciples. They prepare it at a designated place and it is during that Passover supper that Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. What We just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where he says, take this bread, eat it as a remembrance of me. This This signifies my body. This represents my body. And he took the cup. He says, drink all of it. Every bit. All of you. This represents the blood that will be shed for your sin. This is this do in remembrance of me. After they've finished all this, it's evening now, night, And it was already during that time Jesus also instituted the the food washing service where he demonstrated to them what a servant should be like. And he revealed that that Judas was the traitor, the betrayer. Scripture says that Judas left then and it was night when he left. And it says in verse 26 of Mark chapter 14 that after they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. I appreciate the song that was sung this morning about eventide. The eventide falls gently now. A good look for us. Calvary wouldn't have happened if Gethsemane hadn't taken place. It was Gethsemane where it seems not that Christ was resisting the will of God, but Christ was committing himself fully again to the will of God. Even though, humanly speaking, even though all of of nature recoiled at what Jesus knew lay ahead of him. But he was committed to the Father's will. Whatever, at whatever price. Whatever price. And Jesus predicts that all his disciples are going to forsake him. Peter says, no way. And Jesus says, Peter, Peter, and you will not only forsake me, you will deny me. Which Peter doesn't believe would happen. And so they get to Gethsemane and Jesus begins to pray, eventually just separated from all of them. And he asks God, if there is another way, Father, if there is another way, he would appreciate that, but Father, I'm committed to Your way. That must have—I'm wondering what what that did to the heart of the Father to have His only Son at that critical moment make that kind of a plea. I know as a dad and as a grandpa it doesn't take much to stir this heart to change if the right if I can get enough right reason for it. That I feel I can justify it. There was no other justifiable way It had to be this way. Nothing else would have done what Christ's work did. Nothing else. There was no other way for your redemption in mind than this way. Only. Like I say, I don't know what must have gone on in the heart of God. Here he saw the needs of this whole world of sin. And Jesus is the only remedy. And there is no alternative. None. And I believe that Jesus knew that. I don't know exactly how this whole situation would have stood in that case. But Jesus says, thy will, thy will, thy will. He comes back to his disciples. He finds them sleeping several times. They had no answers for him. He really didn't even sense their deepest support. Of course, they did not know what lay ahead. And then Judas comes with this whole band. It says a great multitude, swords and staves with them, sent by the chief priests and scribes and elders. And he gives him the betrayer's kiss. Jesus is taken. Peter tries to. Resist, but was not effective. And Jesus is taken, in fact, Jesus even allows, heals the the ear of the man that Peter attacked. Everybody forsakes him. Jesus is taken, first of all, to the high priest for a trial. And that's where Peter denies Christ three times Jesus when he's examined does say that he is the son of God man he is he's considered to be a blasphemer and needs to die Peter continues with his denial process till the cock crows and Peter realizes that he's done exactly what, Peter, what Jesus predicted he would do. In the morning, Jesus is then taken, first of all, to Pilate. And Pilate somehow cannot get too much out of his whole situation. And he realizes that Jesus brought, has been brought to him because of envy. He sends him to Herod. Herod doesn't get very far with the situation either. Herod sends him back. Pilate now needs to do something. And so, if Pilate offers an alternative, I'll free Jesus, I'll give you Barabbas instead. And they say, No, we'd rather have Barabbas. Free Barabbas, that notorious criminal, that notorious murderer, free him. Get rid of Jesus. Pilate knows this is not justice. This isn't right. But Pilate succumbs to the pressure of the leadership there. And eventually Pilate says, okay, I'll let Barabbas go, and you take and do with Jesus what you wish. Jesus has already been mistreated by this point and then they really start to mistreat him physically. There's mockery. He's dressed in purple and beaten, has been beaten already and then this this is torn off of his bleeding back. He's crowned with thorns that are beaten down onto his head. And he is Severely abused bodily, physically. He's mocked, treated as a king, but in a mocking way. And finally, once they've done all that, they now go to Calvary. And he cannot even carry his own cross because physically of his physically his his condition. And so Simon, a Cyrenian, is is given that honor, so to speak, to help Jesus with the cross. They come to Golgotha, the garbage heap of Jerusalem. They try to give him wine mixed with myrrh, probably to somewhat deaden pain. Refused. His possessions are divided out, and he's crucified. To us, it's a simple word he's crucified. something that none of us likely will never experience nor would we wish to but the crucifixion of Jesus was not the crucifixion of an ordinary man with an ordinary condition Jesus was the sin bearer of the world Jesus wasn't carrying any guilt of his own none None. Jesus had never been tainted, touched by sin personally. Never. Now he became the bearer of sin. He be- the sin was loaded onto him, so to speak, of the entire world. Dear ones, that's more sin than you and I ever could experience. Ourselves. All the guilt, shame, sin of what's ever taken of what's ever been in the heart of people was crucified was lifted up on that cross. It was not just a physical agony. There was a there was a spiritual agony that was extremely intense along with this. And Jesus utters several statements from the cross. A statement of forgiveness probably said repeatedly. A statement of personally forgiving one of the thieves crucified with him and assuring him of paradise. A statement of commending his mother to John, that John would take responsibility for her. A statement of feeling alone. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? A statement of thirst, a statement of commitment. Into Thy hands I commend my spirit. And then finally, a statement of triumph. It is finished. Not just the physical agony. Ag- agony. No, Death that was done to But the plan of redemption that was instituted before the creation of the world, that was in the heart of God, before heaven and earth were made, was successfully done. There was no other alternative, and Jesus made the test. A hundred percent. He carried through. It was done for us. It had no part of being done for him. It was done for us. I trust that that moves us to be thankful. I trust it moves us to surrender. I trust it moves us to a deeper commitment. What Jesus did. The cross looks somewhat different, I believe, from God's perspective. The Bible says we love Him because He first loved us and provided salvation. God, God doesn't love because. <laughs> other than he is love. He is love and so, so love is just, he doesn't love as a reason. His love is not a response to something that's happened. Like it is with us usually. But definitely salvation is a responsive act of his love. Let's look at the next look in 1 Corinthians 11. Brother Dwight already alluded to this. We do show the Lord's death till he come. This is a temporary remembrance. Here we reflect and worship the Lamb in somewhat of an opaque picture. We will never see the picture of this side of glory clearly. Or we will never see the real thing clearly. It is a picture. But one day, it won't just be a picture we'll see. We will be part of the real thing. This communion is to be ongoing and frequent, but dear ones, it's not to be perpetual. In heaven there is the marriage supper of the Lamb and central to that and to all of eternity is the victorious Lamb. book of Revelation does tell us that. And communion in looking back we reflect on what Christ done. And we look ahead and we are thankful that one day communion will take on a significance, will have a will will we'll be something totally different forever it is we are looking forward with anticipation to the consummation of all things i hope so one day one time it will be the last one for us here will be. A year ago, it was the last opportunity for our brother Arnie. One day, it will all be for us that way. But, but that doesn't mean, that just means the picture is done. The real thing is coming. And so we look forward today. We look ahead today. And we're here to declare the Lord's death till He come. The best we can. The fourth look. It's an inward look. Verses 27, 28, it talks about self-examination, that we're not guilty, that we don't take, un- take this unworthily. And really the question that all of us should have been asking, I believe we did, does my life match the meaning and significance of communion? Is what we are participating in here today does the rest of my life match that? Do my attitudes, my deeds, my words, my thoughts, my heart, my goals, my outlook, my commitments, my loyalty does, does it match what's taking place here today? Are all these things in harmony with the spirit of Christ, with the picture of Christ? Is it there? Do Jesus and I really share this special relationship? I've observed as we gave counsel last Sunday and even this morning, and this is not critical. Most of us give testimony of, of appreciating the church and, and the ministry and things like that. That's wonderful. That is good. That is part. That is part of it. That is part of it. But that can only really be part of it as it becomes part of the big picture of Christ. We are not here just merely to commune with each other. We are here to commune in remembrance of Him. Of Him. Communion outwardly is necessary. Jesus said so. But outward communion is really a response, should be a response to an inward communion that should be going on and on all the time. In our hearts, no one is perfect. I don't believe that that's what the worthiness really talks about. No, we should not. We should not be careless about sin and, and, and wrong attitudes and things like that. To be worthy means to be careful, mindful, respectful. To have the right spirit, the right heart, and relating to all this. That there is a relationship with Jesus. That is growing. And the last look this morning. Verse 33. Wherefore my brethren when you come together to eat. That could have been also the physical meal that accompanied the communion in, in the Corinthian time there. Tarry one for another. The context of the Corinthian passage, as I said earlier, was disorderly communion going on. There was disorderly, what we could call, we could maybe say, potluck <coughs> service, a potluck fellowship meal, and communion was served alongside that or along with that. In that, and that became disorderly then as well, there, because it were disorderly, wrong attitudes, wrong spirit. if one has a wrong view and perspective of Christ and His work, it will affect the relationships and manners of how we relate to others. True, communion is foremost a recognition of Christ and His work. But not only as it relates to the isolated individual. The scripture context of communion if you study them, they're always in the context of brotherhood, of assembly. They're not in the context of individuals communing with God just by themselves. The Lord's death and resurrection is for the individual as part of the body of Christ. And so communion cannot be separated from brotherhood, from the church and our fellowship in Christ's body. And so if we look at communion correctly, rightly, backward, forward, and so on, we will also look at communion correctly as it relates to each other. And a right perspective of others, the outward look, will affect the view my upward look, my backward look, my inward look. And I trust that as we fellowship around the Lord's table this morning, that it will draw our hearts to Christ. But as a result of that, that there will be an ever-tightening bond of brothers and sisters here. a growing appreciation of each other. Not just of the church as an institution, but of the those that make up the brotherhood. So as we close this morning, these views, the frequent look, the backward look, the forward look, the inward look, the outward look, all of these focus on the big picture of Jesus Christ each of these views are necessary each each of these glimpses each of these perspectives are part of Christ and the picture would not be accurate if any of these views are omitted we would have an aberration we would have a mirage we would have a picture that would be distorted And so we meet together around the Lord's table this morning because we love Him. Because He first loved us.